0: And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday Morning Mosaic Worship Service, Garfield Memorial Church, Widening the Circle. You guys give me a flashing light. Was that a tease or what? okay thank you i didn't know how i looked in yellow if we haven't met i'm chip free the lead teaching pastor here Um, and uh, we're in a teaching series that we started right around valentine's day Uh, love sex and marriage if you missed it last week you missed a sex sermon sorry about that boy did the internet come alive after i preached that last week I got Facebook messages and emails from folks I have never met in my entire life. Actually, things are pretty positive. They said, some parents said they sat down with teenagers and what have you. But I'm sorry, you missed the main act. It's all downhill from here. I, I can't top last week. Um, but today, we're, we're summing this up, this series. Uh, Scott kicked us off on what is the meaning of marriage. Last week I talked about, um, you know, sexual intimacy is a gift from God. And today how do we build a love that lasts a lifetime now I haven't lived a lifetime but I've been with that young woman over there for 35 years um, married 33 and uh, I just I'm not a marriage therapist okay I outkicked my coverage she's put up with me for this long Um, so gold and silver have I none what I have I'll give to you and I will say um, what I have learned that to hang in there in a marriage, to hang in there in a friendship, uh, to be, you know, to go the distance with our love. It really is a hard experience. Now, we just came out of Valentine's Day, and you know the hearts are kind of romance and things like that, but the heart in the Hebrew and Greek was literally the center of who you are, and it takes a a transformed heart. What I want to try to say to you today is there's a difference between a supernaturally changed heart and a morally restrained heart morally restrained heart is religion that's a lot of work but if your heart is supernaturally changed through the presence and power of Jesus Christ um, you'll experience new freedom new life what the band was up here singing about now I don't try to be a comedian every Sunday um, but some of you guys have been sending me I don't know what it is when you start preaching on love sex and marriage you all came alive who know there were so many closet comedians i've gotten more jokes and cartoons i have a couple that i can't get out of my mind um, so i'm going to try to exercise them by telling you them one person sent me this is a married couple that were married sixty years and i consulted with some of them this week in preparation for the message but they sent me this picture and it was an older couple sitting on a park bench and the guy kinda had a growl on his face and he said to his wife he said you know all these years that we've been married um, you don't really hold grudges very long. We get in arguments, and you get over it so quick, I tend to harbor it a little bit. What's your secret for getting over it when you're mad at me? She said, oh, that's easy. I just go clean the toilet. And he said, well, what does that have to do with anything? How does cleaning the toilet make you not mad at me anymore? He said, she said, because I use your toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten over that one. I literally was so afraid Terry might have seen that, that I took all my toothbrushes <laughs> and put them in a little travel case. The other one that really got me, and, and uh, you know, there was a, a guy that was, I guess, feeling frisky on Valentine's Day. So somebody sent me, this is what they had written to their wife. Um, and he wrote a note that said, uh, you know, 40 years ago, we were living in a very cheap apartment. We were driving a beat up old car. We were sleeping on a sofa bed, and we were watching a 10-inch black-and-white TV. He said, but the wonderful thing is I was married to a 23-year-old, beautiful, pristine woman, and um, now, 40 years later, I'm living in a $500,000 house. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Just claim that right there, sister, yeah. Yes, we're, we're driving a new SUV, uh, we have a big bed, and we're watching a large-screen TV, But now I go to bed at night with a 63-year-old woman. And she just doesn't seem to have the energy she used to once have. And so I think you got the better part of the deal. Man, we are so stupid. And so the wife, I love it, she wrote him back and she said, why don't you do this? Why don't you go out and find a 23-year-old beautiful woman, and I'll make sure you once again leave in a cheap apartment, (laughs) you drive a beat-up car and sleep on a soft bed and watch a 10-inch black-and-white TV. I don't know who she is, but she's my hero. I, let's give her a hand. Yes, yes. So I think we need uh, something to trigger us to go the distance. And and as I say, that's a transformed heart. It, it's, it's something that supernaturally happens to your heart. And Paul talks about it here. If you read what he said, he said, may the peace of God— that's." Verse 15, I think, is the climax to everything he's saying from verses 1 through 15 in Colossians 3, where he's really talking about relationships. But he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That you will live out the calling to which you've been called, and that you will be thankful. And the more I meditated on that, um, the more I realized that's really what's happened in my wife and I's marriage. Um, th- that makes it work at all. See, Paul earlier in Philippians 4, he said, let the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your heart in mine. Now these words that Paul uses are fantastic to me because they're action words. He doesn't say, well, peace of God, we hope it's in your heart somewhere. You know, you feel a little... No, he said, may the peace of God guard your heart. You know what that word guard in the Greek means? To, to walk around the ramparts of your heart. And guarded from enemies, that's an active, powerful presence of God. That I know that there's a bodyguard, there's a lifeguard. That that God is actively uh, the peace of God, which is a shalom of God. That was an important word. It was peace in all aspects of your life. That thing is fighting for me. And so when First Peter said, "Don't be, be- de- deceived," your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. Waiting to devour. So you can say a lot of things about the devil, but he is an opportunist. In fact, when it said that G- the devil tempted Jesus, Satan tempted him, remember, in the wilderness, it said when Jesus stood tall against that, it, the devil said he just departed to an opportune time. We have an opportunist, but thank God I've got a guard that is walking around the perimeter of my heart, and when the enemy roars against me, I have a power that is greater than, than, than myself, greater is the one who is in me than the one who is in the world. And I celebrate that, and I need that peace of God to guard my heart. But then Paul here says here in Colossians, May the peace of God rule in your heart. Now, that rule, the word rule, you know what it literally means in Greek? An umpire. Now, these weren't the passive refs we see on TV. You know, this was back in the ancient games in the Roman Greco world. You know, those are pretty serious. You ever heard of gladiators? Like, that could cause you their life and the umpires that ruled over the games they ruled with an iron fist they would throw out all the troublemakers that would would try to stir up trouble and it's saying that the peace of god in jesus christ can be released in your life so that it's acting it's ruling it's dominating and it's guarding your heart and mind and had it not been for that active peace of god in my life i'd have probably gotten in the car and just quit keep driving right i mean we we, we have this 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 god you know, Jesus said, "My peace I give to you, not as the world gives." Right? See, there is a worldly kind of peace, and and you know, some of us are chasing after it. And you know what that t- peace depends on? Circumstances. Depends on your circumstances. So, happiness is happy stance. It's what happens to you. And I think we lie to ourselves up until we're about 40, maybe 45. Well, we're always thinking, oh, you know, things are going to change. Things are going to get better. I'll have a better career. I'll have a better We just hang in there. You know, it's going to get better because we think that somehow our circumstances are going to change to give us peace. But let me tell you, friends, circumstances are beyond our control. I had to be at a funeral friday for a pastor that's come to garfield many times and committed to the revelation 7 9 vision and he's been to learning labs and he's close and saturday night he went to bed and never got up and his church found out about that sunday morning reverend kent joy i would ask you to keep his wife marshy and illyria first church in your prayers but circumstances are beyond our control I always tell people when you feel like you're losing control the only thing you've lost is the illusion you ever were in control and God help us when we make our peace dependent on our circumstances there are you know my wife dearly loves me there are some days she does not like me and I give her a lot of reason for that but thank God the peace of God that dwells in her life is not dependent on the mood that I had that day when I got out of bed or the funky attitude Right? It the peace of God is active, it's alive, it's present with us, it's guarding us, it can rule over us in a way that then produces what does he say? Your clothed and compassion and humility and patience. My God, this woman needs a trophy this high for patience. Right? I always say, God, help me be patient, just hurry up. <laughs> Let the peace of Christ rule in your life and see for that peace to rule in your life it's not a peace you can develop yourself it only comes through union with him and reflecting on what has god done for me and so i have a few strategies okay i shared them at nine and nobody threw you know cans of soda at me or anything Um, but four things i think practices that can help us trigger this this peace in our lives the first thing paul says is you have to think it out Okay, you have to think it out. Now, secular peace never comes that way. Secular peace, if you go to the self-help books, they won't tell you think it out. They'll tell you change your action, right? Change your behavior right away. It goes to activity, never goes to thinking. But see, it, it, I don't know why people think Christianity is kind of like a, a dumbed down, oh, you just have faith. You know? No, Paul says since then, you've been raised with Christ, set your, heights, set your hearts on things above. Since then, that's like a mathematical term. you remember, you remember the theorems you had in math? If this, then that. Since this, then that. Paul's saying we need to reflect on the fact that we've been raised with Christ. Now notice he doesn't say you will be raised. He says you have been raised through the power at work in you. Greater is the one that, that is in us, right? That we can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think, according to what? His power that has raised us from death to life. And we know that. We think about it, right? We reflect on it. What does it mean if this is true, if Christ has raised us from the dead, if I'm free from that kind of power, how does that free me up to love others? How does that free me up to forgive? Do I have to be petty and hold on to things? Or can I clothe myself with humility? And compassion, and decency. Only as we think about these things, right? Only as we think about them, will we will we activate them in our lives. One of my favorite conversations. Well, it's been a long time now, but the, the chaplain at Colgate University, some of you know, is the one who brought me to Christ, Dr. Coleman Brown. I had the privilege to do his eulogy in 2016 there at Colgate, and he flew in. He was a great counselor for my wife and I. Let me tell you, when Terry and I got together. There weren't a lot of people in our corner. Go back and study interracial marriage and go back to the 80s, and like 90% of America was against this, right? So we didn't have a lot of people in our corner. Somebody told me once time, you may not know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. (laughs) And he was sitting over there in the corner for us, cheering us on. And his messenger, Coleman Brown, we had to fly him in from New York (laughs) to officiate our wedding. And he and his wife Irene were so special to us. And then Terry and I began the living together. How many of you know there's no, un- no such thing as an un- unhappy marriage? It's just a living together after that's difficult, right? You go to a wedding celebration, everybody's happy. But so we started that living together. We were out in a little apartment out in New Jersey. And uh, you know my mom was right from the school of Martha Stewart. I'm serious, man. There was never laundry around. Things were put away. They were neat. And uh, my wife said, that, that was good for your mom. <laughs> it's good for her. <laughs> it worked for her, Chip. And she said, Thank God you had 18 good years. <laughs> but it's not so much worse for me. Well, I got so frustrated. You know, I was having mom issues. So I called Coleman up, I called the pastor up. And I said to him, I called him on the phone. and said, Coleman, we're having, a, we're having a crisis. You know, there's a pile of laundry room in my bedroom, and I'm tired of this, and I got to put my foot down. And there's some places, you know, you can't, you can't bend that much. And I, I don't know what to do, but, but I, I can't put up with this anymore. He said, great, Chip, I guess you'll have to measure that up against being married to one of the most wonderful women on the entire planet. And he hung up on me. <laughs> what was he doing? Thank Think. Think about who you're married to. Think about the love and the friendship you have. And are you really going to weigh that up against a laundry basket on your bed? He was telling me to think. we got to think, friends. That's why I love what Paul says in Philippians. He said, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise— Think about these things think on them right and that will lead you to the second part which is as we're thinking on these things we can kill off the idols in our lives look what paul goes on to say put to death therefore kill it off put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature evil desires i'm going to come back to that word which is idolatry You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator and God shows no partiality. Watch what he says here. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is, is all and is in all. We're to kill off what? Those earthly desires, right? Evil desires, sometimes that's translated. That's a powerful word in the Greek. It's a word called epithemia, And any time... John talks about in John 2, James talks about in James 1, Paul talks about here, and in Ephesians 4, and in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, Peter uses it. Anytime it's referred to idolatry, it says you've got to guard yourself against epithemia. What that means, it doesn't mean evil desire. It means epi-desire, omni-desire, mega-desire. The things we desire too much, and watch this they're not usually evil things they're good things that we make ultimate things and if those things now grow to a place in your life and take supplant God off the throne of your life once again we are investing in things that will ultimately leave us it's everybody we love at some point is gonna die it's just a reality we can't invest in those things that's why Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven where moths can't get to it, and thieves can't get to it, and rust can't get to it. But if we make, you know, earthly things, ultimate things in our lives, people said to me, what makes your marriage work? I said, well, um, I told Heritage just this morning, there weren't many of them that were still around, but when I first came here, gosh, way back in 2004, I was feeling a little ornery. I think it was my third Sunday here, and I went up at Heritage. I I just couldn't, couldn't resist. And I said, you know, we're getting to know each other here. I just want you to know, when I met my wife, she was a married woman. (gasps) You could just hear it. And I said, yeah, she was married to, you know, that Jesus fellow that walked out of the tomb 2,000 years ago. (sighs) It It was great. It was inhale, exhale. But that's what's made my marriage work. She was already married. She was dancing with the Lord. And you know what a burden that took off my life? I don't have to fulfill her every fantasy. Jesus has already done that. I don't heal her every hurt. Jesus has already done that. I don't have to be all wise and powerful in her life. Jesus has already done that. And because she has that ultimate marriage in her life with the peace of God, man, guarding that heart when I'm an idiot or something's going wrong, then we're free to love each other as we are, not as we would wish we would be see when jesus has fulfilled all that you don't get married to an idea you get married to a person and here's the thing the first commandment was what the lord your god the lord is one you shall have no other gods but god now notice he didn't say god didn't say well you can either have god or no god no everybody's gonna worship something didn't uh didn't one of those hippie guys said that pastor terry always tells me bob dylan right you're all gonna serve somebody the truth is here's what i've learned we will make something the ultimate meaning in our life something will be there something will sit on there it's what we live for it's what we desire for and if it's anything but the love that's been revealed to us in, of of god through jesus christ our lord it will it will leave us when we need it and it won't forgive us when we fail we need this desperately in our lives we need to expel whatever those idols are Okay. Whatever those omni-desires are, expel those so that we can can love each other on each other's terms. So think it out. Kill off the idols. Thirdly, look up. Look up. I have a sign on my desk. I've had it since I've gone into ministry. And it simply says this. If you fail to look up, you will always think you're the highest point. I lift up my eyes to the hills. (laughs) From whence does my help come from? I have a picture in there with my sister who passed away in 94 as we were in the Smoky Mountains where she held a home and knew she wasn't going to make it much longer. And I have a picture of our family just looking up to the hills, not to the circumstances from where our help comes. It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth and who will guard our heart and rule in our heart if we just look up. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. I love that one. You know what that literally means? Put up with each other. (laughs) Boy, I'm sorry, honey, for the times you've had to put up with me. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Don't ever forget that. When you're having trouble loving somebody, you know, I have those times where maybe I'm struggling with loving somebody. I just always feel the Holy Spirit say, now you know what it was like for me to love you. Now you got an idea. You just got a sniff of that chip. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's our verse. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Thomas Chalmers was an old preacher and he preached a sermon that any of us who study the craft go back to. And it was, it was called the, the, power, the Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And what he wrote in there was idols cannot be uprooted. They can only be replaced. Do you hear that? You're not going to get rid of those idols in your life by just saying, go away, go away, go away, go away. Because something's going to uh, sit on that seat of honor. They need to replace. And what Chalmers said is the only way to replace a desire is through the expulsive power of a new one. And when we see the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord, what he did for us on the cross, as he gave his life for each and every one of us, as if we and would do it if we were the only person on the planet, that new affection can come into our life and that can expel all the other affections from rivaling it and again set us free. To love one another, not as we would have them to be, but as they truly are. Anybody see that Netflix show that's going around? Did you see Love is Blind? Yeah, Flora and me, we're the only two that's seen this thing at post-services. The rest of you just aren't admitting it. Um, but it's a crazy show in Love is Blind. What it does, um, they, they actually get couples to see if they can form an emotional connection uh, as a basis for love and marriage, rather than a physical appearance. So what they do is they put them in two separate rooms, and they talk, they, they communicate with that other. You guys haven't seen this? You gotta Google love is blind. You'll hate it, it's terrible. But anyhow, that's my job, you pay me to irritate you. Um, and so, love is blind, they, they, they develop these emotional connections, and then they decide if they wanna get engaged, and then they meet each other for the first time physically at the engagement. You guys are hating this. I, you're looking like this isn't real. You guys here, But the whole premise comes on that, that, that idea that love is blind. I love what G.K. Chesterton once said. Love is not blind. That's the last thing love is. Love is bound. And the more love is bound, the less it is blind. The more we take those vows that we played on the screen seriously, the more we're freed to see each other as we really are. And that only happens if the peace of God and Jesus Christ is not just an idea but is ruling in your heart and guarding your heart then it can be a reality I talked to uh, some couples here in this church who have been married 60 years or more I I I always feel like I think Terry and I are doing pretty good at 33 been together 35 these guys make me feel like rookies you know but I asked them, tell me what you would say To somebody about having a love that's gone 60 or plus years. Here's four answers I just wrote down. Listen to how they talk. Without our faith, we would have never survived. That was one. Two, there's someone out there that's bigger than you. We have felt his presence, and his hand is always on us. Three, if you don't have the Lord, you will end up lost. That is for sure. Four, keep God first and he will help you find a way. Do you hear the theme that's running through that? They're looking up. They're just not, you know, I, I asked my pastor when I became a superintendent and I had to oversee 80 churches and they were all fighting, man. They were all mad. And I'm like, why are, you, why are you so mad? You know, and I, I called my mentor and I said, I don't get it. Why do churches fight so much? He said, that's easy. They look too much at each other and not enough at God. Amen. And the same thing could be said in a marriage and a friendship. In a working relationship. We need to look up. University of Virginia did a study ranking marriages on a zero to one hundred. Do you know couples that said they worship together regularly tested 25 points higher than the norm? And couples that said they prayed together tested 40 points higher. That's almost halfway. Right? There's more to this. We need to we need to learn to bear with one another, to put up with one another. Um, I was really offended by a story I read recently. I have German in my heritage, and this thing came out of Germany. I don't know if anybody saw it, but there is a really kind of flamboyant politician over there. Her name is Gabrielle Polly, and she's very flamboyant. She stepped down in 2016. Thank God. I'm going to tell you why. Because in 2007, she had read a survey where almost all couples that got separated, on the average, they did it year seven and got divorced in year eight. So Gabrielle Polly put forth legislations that all marriages be legally dissolved after seven years. Like just let nature take its course. And then it would be up to the couples if they wanna hang in there or just give it up. There would be no legal consequences. I was like, good God, I didn't, my wife would never put up with me if that was easy you could get out of this. I mean, we renewed our vows in here for our 25th anniversary. Some of you may have come that night. I was scared to death. I never wanted to ask her again. I was afraid she'd say no. Can you imagine? Every seven years, it legally dissolves. Just Man, it just catch you on a bad day. Whoop, out. No, it's the vows. It's the commitment. My, my spiritual mentor said to me, you can love a lot of people, but when you make that commitment, it takes it to a whole different level. And that's what, you know, I, I hadn't seen this till this morning. Can we put that? Is that last slide up there? Perfect. Thanks, guys. No, the one you had. Thank you. You know, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called. You know, for Terry and I, our marriage has been a mission, it's something we felt called to. And through that, it was able to be a ministry in the lives of others. But we learned something. When Terry came together and I came together, right? There was this mission of God that both of us were seeking. So, if you have, if we were drawing on paper, if I had my little pen for the tech thing, draw a paper Terry over here in Canton, me over here in Youngstown, the cross of Jesus Christ here, and as we followed that mission and got closer to Him, we got closer to one another. You see how that works? We got closer to one another, and and that that is the the commitment. That we've made. Okay, let me wrap up this little love letter to my wife. That's what somebody called us this morning. I said, "Man, you're just preaching a love letter to your wife." Okay, I guess I was. The last thing I love how Paul says, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful." Be thankful. I have this little routine, cherry I don't know if you're even conscious of it, honey, but sometimes um, I wake up earlier than her. Or sometimes she goes to sleep before me. I hate it when that happens. Home. I really don't I like kick her to try to keep awake so I can go to sleep first. But, you know, if she's asleep and I'm awake, I'll just lay my hand on her shoulder. And I, I always say the same prayer. I just do. I say, God, thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for the gift of this person who, who is, we're in this thing together. There's, you know, there was an old legend years ago that it was an American farmer had a dream. And in his dream, he ended up at Satan's barn. I didn't even know Satan had a barn. They ended up in Satan's barn and there were all these seeds that caused all kinds of problems in the world. There were seeds of racism, seeds of warfare, and seeds of poverty, seeds of uh, you know uh, disunion, all these various seeds. But the farmer noticed that in one barn, there were seeds that were more than any other seeds. And he said to Satan, he said, well, what are those seeds over there? He said, oh, those are seeds of discouragement. He said, well, why do you have so many of those? He said, because we found out they'll grow almost anywhere. And the farmer said to Satan, are there any places that those seeds of discouragement won't grow? He said, only one place. We've never been able to get them to grow in a thankful heart. If you can thank God, for your spouse your mate your children your family you'll be amazing how that will make the the forces of darkness flee have a thankful heart be grateful okay let me end with this there's a book sacred marriage by gary thomas i read years ago that was helpful and uh he talked about the trees that are in washington states northern cascades anybody been up that way Do you know the trees up there in the Cascades Park, some of them are hundreds of years old. They carbon dated one that's 700 years old. And they put a little plaque on that tree. See, typically forests experience damaging forest fires every 50 to 60 years. But scientists have concluded the reason the trees in the northern Cascades live so long is because the drenching rains protect them from forest fires that are caused by lightning strikes. And Thomas wrote this in that book. He said, I think that's a good picture of a marriage that is based on the ministry of reconciliation. Strong Christian marriages will be struck by lightning. Sexual temptation, communication problems, frustrations, unrealized expectations. But if the marriages are heavily watered with an unwavering commitment to the peace of God above everything else, the conditions won't be ripe for a devastating fire to follow the lightning strike. That's what's happened in Terry and I's life. You remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? He said, yeah, go drink from that well again. You'll be thirsty. But if you take the water that I have to give, it'll pour up from your very center as living water up to eternal life. It's the living water of the peace of God who ramparts around our hearts and guards us and binds us that have had had us find a love that's lasted, um, I trust, for a lifetime. I hope you can find that too. Let's pray. Lord, um, we pray that your peace would guard our hearts, would rule in our hearts. Lord, um, because only then will we be free of circumstances. We won't find joy if, but we'll have joy just because. Let that peace of Christ, Lord, rule and guard and reign in our hearts then we will find a peace that won't give as the world gives the world's peace goes away in an instant goes away with circumstances but we'll have a peace that will go the distance we pray you'd give it to us come holy spirit deliver it now in jesus name amen